Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Well, that was fun having the kids up here, wasn't it? You know, it's, yeah, praise God. Give it up. When we were out on the mission field, often we would be out there working with people, planning churches, South America, Asia, wherever we were. And a lot of times as a church would get started, what you'd end up happening was you'd get a guy with a guitar and a Bible and a mango tree and everybody would gather up. And mostly it would be children that showed up at these uh, these church plants, right? And sometimes these young church planters, you know, I would go out and I'd encourage them. And, 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 and one of the things I would let them know is like, just hang in there. This little group that you see right here, 10 years from now, it will be your church. And, and it's true. And I know we kind of laugh about that, but we've been here now since 2012. So we're going on 11 years. And there's a lot of you, there's a lot of us serving up there, worshiping that we're part of the youth ministry once upon a time. And you just, you just hang in there, man. Go for the ride and uh, just see what God is doing. Uh, as, as we approach Christmas, Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, but we might want to dust off our Halikaliki Maka. Uh, it's, it looks like it's going to be a green Christmas this year, you know. Uh, it's funny because living in tropics, our, our, much of our missionary life, it was always green. It never snows ever like in all of human history. And so you get used to a green Christmas and celebrating with decorated banana trees and stuff like that. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, in the birth of Christ, we have no indication whether there was snow there or not. More likely than not, there was not. It does snow because it's high elevation there in Bethlehem, Jerusalem, and it can snow. Um, but I don't think there's any snow in the forecast for Bethlehem this year either. And, you know, as we get into our Christmas traditions, which I love, absolutely love the Christmas tradition. I love the trees. I love the gifts. I love the songs. I love the caroling. I love all of the food. <laughs> I love Christmas. Um, but we have to remember there's a difference between the tradition and the truth. And this morning, I have a Christmas message for you. At least that's what God put on my heart as I was preparing for this. It just screamed to me, this is Christmas. It's found in the book of Acts, chapter 8. We'll pick up at verse 26. That's where we left off last week. And you're thinking, weren't we with Philip in Samaria? Wasn't revival breaking out in Samaria? We were talking about this great cross-cultural transition, this hinge of history where God had uh, said, wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then we started watching the Hebrews and the Hellenists and Stephen and the Sanhedrin, the saints and the ain'ts. And, and next thing you know, it turns into this dispersion and all the Christians are getting kicked out of Jerusalem. You'll be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, which we saw last week. Philip, one of the two deacons that we see seven deacons mentioned in chapter 6. Now he's out on the road preaching the gospel, bringing people to Jesus Christ. And, and in that, they're receiving Jesus. They're born again. The Holy Spirit takes up residence. And then Peter and John go down and investigate to see what's going on. And sure enough, demons are being cast out. Miracles are being worked. People are being healed. And they said, if you receive the Holy Spirit, and they go, well, we don't know about that. They laid hands and they were overflowed with the Holy Spirit and they just, revival broke out in Samaria. It was just, this was the place to be. Jesus is in the house. This is the spout where the glory comes out. I don't want to be any place but there. That was just it. Uh, Acts chapter 8, part A. But here we come to part B. And I want us to see in this that... <laughs> Just like in Samaria, just like the day of Pentecost, just like we see from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, the Holy Spirit is front and center in the book of Acts. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we see Holy Spirit working continually. So 
let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to pick up in verse 26. Lord Jesus, we come to you knowing that it's your desire that we would know you and grow in you and show you to others, and we can't do it without you. Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit, that you would fill this place, flood this place, overflow this place, that we could be testimony to the grace and the mercy that you've reigned in our lives and take it out into the streets this Christmas season and glorify you, Jesus. So we pray now in advance that the Holy Spirit, Lord, you would just illuminate our hearts, touch us, change us, move us, use us in Jesus' name. Amen? All right. Picking up at verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. What a way to start off. Here's Philip, right? He starts out serving tables, you know, making sure that the, the Hellenists, the Greek gals, they're getting their fair share of daily bread. And he's waiting those tables. He's serving the Lord. And next thing you know, he's got him kicked out of Jerusalem. And what does he do in Samaria? He preaches Jesus. People are receiving again the bread of life. He's continuing that, that work as a servant, that waiter. He's just dishing it up, more of the Lord. And uh, revival breaks out. And for all of that, and the great reward of experiencing the, the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, just, just doing His thing, angel of the Lord spoke to him and says, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. This is wilderness. This is empty. This is deserted. This is nowhere. From the center of it all to nowhere. And you think, is that punishment? What is God doing with Philip? And what is God doing through Philip? He's been using him mightily, and now God sends him out to the desert? A kind of, kind of a, a weird kind of thing to, to look at here, right? But look, look what happens. It says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, arise and go. I'm imagining if it wasn't an angel of the Lord, Philip might have said, I think I'm going to stay here. I don't want to go there. I want to stay here. That's how I would have been. Man, there's so much going on here. I don't want to leave. Why would I want to go to southern Idaho when revival's breaking out around the world? Can't you pick another place, Lord? It took an angel, right? When an angel shows up at your house and says, you know what? Skedaddle. You got to get on down the road. What are you going to say to an angel? That's a pretty big deal, right? I think God knew Philip was going to need that little extra nudge. So he sends an angel. The angel speaks to him. Rise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. There were two roads fundamentally that came down out of the hills from Jerusalem that would go towards Gaza. And even from where Philip was in Samaria, he would have to travel south to Jerusalem. And then at that fork in the road, he'd have to pick the less traveled road. He'd have to head off into emptiness. He wouldn't even know where he was going, what he was doing. And, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing that you see that with Abraham. When God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and says, go to the place, I'll show you when we get there, and when we get there, I'll give it to you, and you'll be the father of many nations, all this kind of stuff, right? But often God just takes our lives one step at a time. And sometimes the first step is you've got to disengage. You've got to detach from where you are, and I'm not going to tell you where you're going to go. When we left the Philippines, Cheryl and I, we prayed for over a year, Lord, show us, where are we going? We do not want to leave here. We love it here. We don't want to leave. We want to go. And I thought that was so noble and so mighty of myself to say, yeah, I, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to bail. I'm not going to cut and run. We're not going to leave we're going to wait till we get the call. And when we get the call, we're going to answer. We're going to go. And so God, speak. And for a year, we heard nothing until finally one day, the director of the ministry that we were at, as I was taken to the airport and I was telling him, you know, we're on this, this platform, this, this launching spot. And if God says go, we're going to go. And he dropped his suitcases on the tarmac there. He looked at me and says, you know, sometimes God doesn't send you someplace, sometimes God just says leave. 
And I thought, and in all my, I thought I was so smart. And I went back and I looked in the Bible. I'm like, you know what? He does that a lot. A lot of times, even leaving something good and productive, God might have something for you you don't even see that's around the corner. But what is it going to take? It's going to take an angel, the word of God, the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And sometimes you just step out in faith. And I think if, of Philip, right? If it was me and I'm in Samaria and I'm watching like Simon Magus wants to buy the Holy Spirit, your money perish with you, your heart's poisoned and bitter and you know, you can't buy heaven and all that. But nonetheless, they preach the gospel and miracles are happening and people are being saved and and the church is growing and people are rejoicing. And I want to be in the middle of all that activity from the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell and 3,000 people were saved that day and they're speaking in tongues and they're giving to the church and the church is growing and they're experiencing all of this manifestation of the Holy Spirit and I'd want to stay there and I, you know my heart would be no I'm not going there uh, not now not me not there you got the wrong guy God I want to be where the Holy Spirit is working in me and through me and the angel says the door's over there I suggest you head on down that way. And you know what Philip stepped into is probably one of the biggest gifts and manifestations of the Holy Spirit that you can read about in all the scriptures. And so many of us just read right over the top of it, going on to the more exciting stuff. It's a gift of faith. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Trusting in God, believing in God, obeying God, walking with God, walking in the Spirit. That requires a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then you trust God and you say, I'm going to step through that door. Just as Joseph and Mary did. <laughs> your wife is with child. He's of the Holy Spirit. You'll call his name Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sins. And Joseph didn't put her away. And they packed up and they headed down south. And they didn't know where they were going or what they were going to do. But the angel said, this is the Christ. This is where we're going to go. And so here's Philip. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go towards the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. That's it. The gifts of the Holy Spirit in action. You saw it right there. And so many times we think, oh, I wanted the exciting one. I want to do miracles, right? Or uh, speak in tongues or one of these kinds of things. There it is. And he went. Behold, and this is cool, right? That word behold, when Dr. Luke uses this in the book of Acts, he's trying to draw your attention to something specific that you really need to wrap your head around. Check it out when he says that. Behold, it means you're not supposed to pause and, and observe this and take it in. What's going on here? So what do we have so far? We've got Philip. He's on this road. He's in the middle of nowhere. It's deserted. Nobody's around. And he's just walking down the road, and I don't even know where I'm going. And behold. Behold what? It says. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Behold, here comes this Ethiopian eunuch, right? I'm sure, apologies to Clement Clark Moore, probably was running through Philip's head something like this as he's going down the road. "'Twas the middle of nowhere, on an empty desert road with revival in Samaria. But the angel said to go. When back in the distance arose such a clatter, Philip spun in his tracks to see what was the matter. When what to his wondering eyes should appear, but a camel with chariot and a eunuch was here. With scriptures in hand, he read of a man, but who he could be, the eunuch did not understand. But for Philip, the answer, the spirit made clear, not that the, that the middle of nowhere was, in fact, Christ is now here. Wow. 
behold. <laughs> Do you think this is an accident? It's just some weird circumstance that God would call Philip onto this lonely, forsaken road, and he hears something, he looks over his shoulder, and what is coming but this entourage of royalty, this, this eunuch. Uh, he would have been, it says, the chief treasurer, secretary of the treasury, the chief financial officer of all of Ethiopia, a wealthy, powerful man. And he's got this, uh, we see in it, a chariot. He's coming down the road, and, and it catches Philip's attention. What was the middle of nowhere, N-O-W-H-E-E-R-E, -E -E, what was nowhere has instantly become now, N-O-W-H-E-R-E. -E. Same place, same people, but now add Christ. God's timing, you know, God's speed, <laughs> that doing things at the speed of God. Uh, he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Candace is really a title uh, for the queen, uh, just like uh, we would have the word president, or the, the Egyptians would have the word Pharaoh. That wasn't a name, it was a title, the Candace the queen of the Ethiopians, he was under direct authority, right? So he's like secretary of the treasury, like I said, secretary of state, some huge, impressive nobleman from this foreign country. And uh, he had charge of all her treasury and came to Jerusalem to worship. One of the things that's kind of fun to watch in this, for some of you that are Bible scholars, we've been watching this transition of the gospel coming to Israel, to the Jews, to uh, Peter, James, Paul, the disciples, and Jerusalem, and all that area. But now it's moving out, Judea, Samaria, but it's going to go to the ends of the earth. And one of the things that's fun to watch in the book of Acts, here in chapter 8, we're going to watch it come to Ethiopia, right? And watch this pattern in chapter 8, 9, and 10. The Ethiopian, this is in the Old Testament, this is the land known as Cush, or the land of Ham, one of Noah's sons. And the gospel is now taking off, just as God said it would, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. It's now coming to the sons of Ham, and to others, Noah's two other sons, Shem, we're going to see in chapter 9, the Semites, this is the apostle Paul, Saul. So we got the Ethiopians, Ham, we've got Shem, the Shemites, Paul, and, and then in chapter 10, it's going to be Cornelius of Europe, the sons of Japheth. So the gospel is going to the ends of the earth, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, right here in a couple chapters. But here we see it's starting off with the sons of Ham, this Ethiopian. Um, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And, you know, he had it all, right? It, he would be extremely wealthy. Anything he wants, he can buy. Anything he wants, he can get. At a snap of a finger, he can have it all. But there's one thing he can't buy. He can't buy eternal life. He can't buy heaven. He can't buy God. He comes to Jerusalem seeking to worship God. Now, kind of an interesting little thing in this, and why would he even come to Jerusalem to worship Historically, you can go way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Joseph, Jacob's son, getting sent down to Egypt and this presence of the children of Israel in Egypt from forever and into the Africa area. But you move it on up in time under King Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 10, there was a visit to King Solomon by Sheba, the queen of the Ethiopians. Sheba came and saw... Uh, Solomon and, and, and met with him, and, and it says that uh, she was so impressed and that Solomon gave her the desires of her heart, and she went back to Ethiopia, and the legend, the story, it's really truly considered almost fact amongst certain people within Africa. He not she not only brought back wealth and the wonderful report of the great God that Solomon served, but brought back a baby. This is what the story is. It's legend, okay? But nevertheless, through this, the, Sol the dynasty of Solomon grew in Ethiopia. 
Orthodox worshiping Jews in Ethiopia for about 10 centuries to the date we're reading about here at the time of Christ. So a thousand years earlier under Solomon, um, Judaism had really taken root there. And it's an interesting kind of story. You might know a little bit about this from a little bit more modern history. Uh, Ethiopia was actually uh, led by um, Jews up until 1974. There was a, their, their king at the time, Haile Selassie, was the last emperor of the Solomon, Solomon dynasty in Ethiopia. Um, and in his, in his uh, emp- while he was emperor, while he was king in his monarchy, uh, he brought about a lot of changes. He abolished um, slavery in the 70s. Uh, he brought about, um, what was that? Uh, he tried to modernize all of Ethiopia, and he also evangelized Ethiopia and the world. In fact, he sent cardinals, or not cardinals, but uh, the, the leaders of the Orthodox Jews to Jamaica to help convert Jamaica to Judaism. And in this process, um, a lot of people converted, um, but maybe a little too much ganja. They, they messed up a lot of their theology, right? And they started worshiping Haile Selassie, and they go by the, his, his given name when he was born. Haile Selassie is just a title that means uh, mighty God of the Trinity. And that's, so that's a weird title they give him. But his last name, his family name, was, um, let's see, oh, yeah, Tafari. His last name was Tafari. His given name, his first name, was Ras. You might know the followers of Haile Selassie as the Ras Tafari ends, right? And so, even in this world today, these things are going on. Now, in 1974, Ethiopia collapsed through a socialist coup, and it's no longer uh, a vibrant light for uh, Judaism. But this is all kind of some of the stuff that it comes off the scriptures, and it comes all the way up into modern times. And so, this guy, this eunuch from Ethiopia, he goes to Jerusalem to worship, to worship. What does he want to do? He wants to go see God. He wants to pay his dues. He wants to have an encounter with the living God who they respect. And Jerusalem is the place. Everybody knows that. And so he goes to Jerusalem. But what do we see? He's returning. He's on his way back now, right? And what does he have? He has a scroll of Isaiah and not much else. Because you see, according to the scriptures, even the scriptures that they read, eunuchs would not be allowed to enter into worship. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, at verse 1, we read, and this is a law of the Jews, he who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. And this is, this is his issue, right? He's a eunuch. He's been emasculated. This was often done to prevent people from amassing any wealth to themselves. They would have no prosperity, no progeny that they could pass on anything they could accrue to themselves. They could only live for today because there would be no generations after them. And so that was part of the process. If you wanted to serve in a high government official, you would be emasculated. So here he is. He's got all that the world could offer, but he's not got any children and he doesn't know how to get to heaven, but he goes to Jerusalem, and he tries to get in, but he can't. In Jerusalem, the closest he would be allowed to get into the temple would be the court of the Gentiles. There's several concentric rings around the temple itself, and they were partitioned by walls and gates, which you could not pass if you didn't qualify. Gentiles could go and look onto the temple precinct, go into the grounds, and see all the amazement, but they could not pass through that into the court of the women, and then beyond that, the court of the women would not allow gals to go in, and you could get up to where the sacrifices were actually being offered. But out in the court of the Gentiles, he had 13 offering boxes that you would be able to put any offerings you wanted to give in. They looked like a big cornucopia, big brass horn, and people would go in and pour their money in, and they could give. And it's so bizarre because people could go to the temple and give money, but they could not go to the temple unless they were of the stock of Israel and receive atonement. They couldn't offer a sacrifice. Weird kind of thing how religion kind of does that. They'd love to take your money but not give you Jesus, right? And this is what's going on. And he kind of comes back empty-handed, except he's wealthy. He could buy a scroll. 
Now, scrolls in those days would have been extremely rare and extremely expensive, but he's got money and he does it, right? Today we have so many Bibles and so many versions of Bibles. Just preparing for this, I was kind of thinking, you know, how many Bibles do we have laying around uh, the house or whatever? I went through my office, and in just my office alone, not counting electronic stuff, just print Bibles, I have 24 in my office, right? They're different, you know, versions. I've got the NKJV that we, we preach out of here. Of course, I've got the King James. There's the NIV and the ESV and the NASB and the Living Translation and the what, you know, and then they've got versions for men and then they got versions for veterans. They got versions for women. They got all these different kinds of Bibles out there and we can just tap our phone and we have a thousand Bibles at our disposal. But in those days, it would have been extremely rare and extremely expensive. And this man going to worship God, wanting to know the living God, the best he could do was bring back the Word of God. And God is going to work with this. And so, he's returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading in Isaiah the prophet. Then, verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come and sit with him. How nice, right? This is pretty good. Uh, a minute ago, I'm in the middle of nowhere, just kicking it down a dusty old road in my sandals. And next thing you know, up pulls this stretch chariot, right? No doubt, tinted windows, sunroof, uh, air conditioning. And the guy opens up the door and says, Hey, hop in. Let's go for a ride, right? And, and it's kind of interesting. It's actually, it says the Spirit said to Philip, go near, overtake, and so Philip ran. And in this, I think it's so interesting because we see this divine appointment from this Ethiopian who's been out on the road, come to Jerusalem. While he's in Jerusalem looking for God, up in Samaria, revival is breaking out. They've kicked the Christians out of Jerusalem. They're out in the other parts of the world bringing the good news. But in Jerusalem, it's dead as a doornail. He comes back from that. Here's Philip. And you watch all these pieces come together for this moment. And at this moment, the Spirit says to Philip, run. Run. Go attach yourself to that chariot. And he comes up and he, and he looks at him. And the Spirit said to Philip, go near, overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading in the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And it's so interesting here in this that we're going to see that he's reading out of the, the scroll of Isaiah, the only part of the Bible that he has. But in that, there's enough to know Jesus. You know, you can know Jesus from cover to cover. It's, 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 it's all about Jesus. In John chapter 5, and verse 39, as Jesus is discussing with the Pharisees who he is and what they say he is, he talks, he says to them, you know, you guys, you search the scriptures for you believe in them. You have eternal life. But these are they which speak of me. And here I am right in front of you, your Messiah, and you're rejecting me. And, and, and here's this Ethiopian and Philip asked them, do you understand what you're reading? This would have been out of the Septuagint version, okay? We talked about versions a minute ago. This would have been Greek. We can tell by the way it's translated here in the New King James or the King James, or the way it's laid out. So it's Greek, and the Ethiopian speaks Greek. Philip, his name is Greek. He, he ministers to the Greek women. He speaks Greek. But he asked them, do you know what this is all about? And the Ethiopian says, how do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And I love that. In Proverbs chapter 9, we read at verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Do you understand what you're reading? We need to start with the fear of the Lord. Then you're going to pick up a little bit of wisdom, right? And you need to know Jesus, knowledge of the Holy One. These are they which speaks of me, but he doesn't understand. In the book of Romans, Paul would write in uh, Romans 10 at verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. 
For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And this is exactly what God has set Philip up for this moment, to preach the glad tidings, to preach the good news. And so he, he says, um, how can I unless someone guides me, and so, unless someone teaches me? And this is what Philip's about to do exposit, explain, help him understand what is it that you're reading. Um, the place in the scripture which he read, Luke records for us, is out of the book of Isaiah in chapter 53. This will happen to be verse 7 and 8. And I think it's interesting as we read this, look what it says. This is what the Ethiopian eunuch is reading, and he doesn't quite understand. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. Does that make sense to you? It'd be awkward if you weren't familiar with Isaiah, with the scriptures, but let me help you. What did I say was at the heart of the scriptures? From Genesis to Revelation, Jesus himself would say, these are they which speak of me. Put Jesus in here. Jesus was sled as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so Jesus opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, in Jesus' humiliation, Jesus' justice was taken away. And who will declare Jesus' generation, for Jesus' life, is taken from the earth. Philip knew this, but Philip's job now was to help the eunuch see it, to show it to him. Would you be able to pick up the Bible? Jesus says from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, these scriptures are they which speak of me. Would you be able to, if the opportunity struck this afternoon, and the Holy Spirit says, go, attach yourself to that SUV. <laughs> and you run over, and inside there, somebody's listening to the radio, and there's a verse on the radio, and you ask that person under the steering wheel, do you know what that's about? Would you be able to preach Jesus? Look what it says. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. I just, I just love it. This scripture. The, the eunuch leaves Egypt, I don't know when, travels, I don't know how many days, is in Jerusalem, I don't know how long, and now he's on his way home. Philip's up in Samaria, I don't know how long, but one day, the angel says, skedaddle. He starts walking. He walks to Jerusalem. He's on this desert road, and all these threads are coming together. And then the Spirit says, run. Run. Now. Right now is the time. And you run up because the Holy Spirit wanted Philip to arrive at Isaiah chapter, seven, chapter um, 53, verse 7 and 8. I want you to use these verses right here to lead somebody to Jesus. Could you do that? Philip did. How did Philip do it? He knew God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Philip was one of the seven who were um, called upon to serve tables. One of the requirements for them was they had to be men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom. Philip knew God. Philip knew the fear of God. He was wise, and he had knowledge of the Holy One, Jesus Christ. So he had understanding. And now he's going to help this man understand who Jesus is. It's interesting. What if he ran up at a different time? What if, he, what if he got there just a little bit earlier? Maybe he's in the scroll of Isaiah, and he comes to Isaiah chapter 7. 
And as he runs up along the side of the chariot, he hears the eunuch reading out of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Could you preach Jesus out of that? How about he was a little further along? He was in Isaiah chapter 9. And as Philip ran up to the chariot, he hears the eunuch reading at verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Who is this speaking of? Would you be able to share that with somebody? Or he's at Isaiah 49. He comes to verse 6. Is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel? I also will give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. It's all about Jesus, cover to cover. And here Philip has this moment, this opportunity. It's funny, we were in Wednesday night, we're in the book of Judges, and in Judges we came across this passage. Let me, let me ask you, would you be able to preach Jesus out of this, these two verses? Judges chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. And he dwelt in Shamir and in the mountains of Ephraim, and he judged Israel 23 years, and he died and was buried in Shamir. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Not a lot to work with there. A guy named Tola, he's a judge, 23 years, and he died. Where do we go with that? Well, Clearly, it takes a little work to dig in and find out what might be there. But one of the things that's there that I find rather interesting is just his name alone. When mommy and daddy looked into this little baby's eyes, they named him Tola. In Hebrew, the word Tola means worm. Unto us a child is born. I know, let's call him Worm. What is that about? But it's not just any worm. Tola is about a specific species of worm. It's a worm that they would use to dye garments. They would crush these worms. They would gather on trees, and they'd come and pick them all off the trees as they were climbing up the tree trunks and crush them and put their garments in and dye them, and they would come out scarlet red. So as you go through the scriptures, the word tola does mean worm, this species of worm, but sometimes in context, it could mean scarlet because that was associated totally with the, the tola worm, the scarlet worm. What's interesting about this is that you look through the scriptures for other places where you see this word tola. One of the places you find it is in Psalm 22. And in Psalm 22, the words of Messiah, Jesus Christ, as he hung on the cross, he says, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men. And as Jesus hung from the cross, he recognized that he was just covered from head to toe, crimson, blood, scarlet. I am a crushed worm. A tola. What's well, interesting about the tola, it goes on. You could look this up. In fact, I did this on Wednesday night, and everybody get their phones out there looking it up. Go ahead, look it up. The tola worm, the way that it uh, breeds or, or continues its, its um, whatever, little worms, as it goes on to these trees, it attaches itself to the tree like a, a, a cocoon type of a thing, and it lays its eggs. The legs actually, eggs lay on its body, and then as the eggs hatch, they become larvae, and the first meal the larva has is the worm itself that laid those eggs, feasts on that worm. And then what's so interesting in that is I continue to think about Tola, the scriptures, Jesus, I am a worm, and we come to communion, 
And Jesus would say, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. And it's through feasting on the bread of life, on the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that we gain life, that life is passed to us. And finally, in an interesting little detail, too, about this, where that worm was attached to that tree, as those little baby worms eat it all up, all that's left on the side of the tree is a, just a, a, a red splotch where the body hung. But as it dries out, it takes about three days. And after three days, that scarlet blood of the Tola worm turns bright white and flakes off. And on a tree or bush that's covered with tola worms, there are flakes all over. As maybe Philip could have arrived at the chariot in Isaiah chapter 1 and heard him say, Come, now let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Now, it's kind of fun to find these little jewels in the scriptures, but you know, as you dig into the Bible from cover to cover, it's all about Jesus. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Do you understand what you're reading? Can you share with somebody this afternoon as the Holy Spirit says, run, go talk to them about Jesus? Philip did, and he was able to preach Jesus to him. Beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Verse 36, now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now, that's a big question when you think about it, because this eunuch who just visited the temple, who was not allowed to go any farther than the gate of the Gentiles, would certainly not have been allowed to be baptized. He would have been known as a proselyte of the gate. He would be known as a God-fearer. They would allow him to go as far as the, the court of the Gentiles and dump all his money, just leave his cash behind, but he could not receive atonement. He could not offer a sacrifice for a covering of his sins, um, and he certainly could not become a Jew. There was the proselytes of the gate, and then there was also known the proselytes of the righteous ones. And in Judaism, if you entered into Judaism, you were a Gentile, and you came, and you converted to Judaism, there were a couple things you had to do. The first thing you had to do was become um, circumcised then you could be baptized. It would take you to the mikvah, and you would come out a proselyte of the righteous. But as we've read in Deuteronomy, and in the case of this Ethiopian, he wasn't allowed to get baptized. He couldn't enter in. Something that had happened to him or he had done to himself, something that happened to me or I had done to myself, something that happened to you or you had done to yourself, eliminated you from access to the living God and forgiveness of your sins. And you couldn't enter in. You could not be baptized. You could not be washed. You could not be forgiven. <laughs> and this may be great news that Jesus, the Lamb of God, has died and paid my sin debt. But can I get baptized? That's what the eunuch wants to know. Here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. We just read that as in, in the book of Romans. All that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you need to hear it. You need to know it. You need to process it and understand it to the point that you believe. Have you called on Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Have you confessed Him as Lord and Savior? Have, do you recognize that He died, was buried, and rose again, went to heaven where He waits for you? He's praying for you. He is ushering you in, and He's just working out the details till we all get there. 
Do you know that? Is that something you own in your heart? Do you believe? Because the Ethiopian eunuch, that's the question Philip has for him. Do you believe this? If you've got a King James or a New King James Version, you can read verse 37. If you have an NIV or an ESV or an NLT or an NASB or an RSV uh, and a lot of other versions who work off of a different ancient manuscript, you're not going to find verse 37 in Acts chapter 8. It's one of the reasons I preach out of, that, out of the King James, out of the New King James, because it'll, it'll show you what's here, that a lot of other people go, well, I'm not sure we agree that it's actually there or not. And so in their wisdom, they take it out. And yet, look at verse 37. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Can you say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Well, then say it. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Hallelujah. You are a new creation in Christ. You are born again. You are living the Christmas witness. Christ born. God with us. God so loved the world, He gave His Son, Jesus. This is the Christmas message. And I have received, I believe, Jesus Christ is the Lord. This is the eunuch's Christmas day. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So He commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and He baptized them. Woohoo! <laughs> Hallelujah, right? Just dunked Him in the water. A picture of dying to your old self and rising new. Uh, a, a new creature in Christ, right? And what, a, what an amazing moment this must have been for this Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, now, when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. There's a trip for you. <laughs> right? We go on down to the river, and I'm, I'm baptizing, and you go under the water, and you come out. Where'd Mike go? Anyways, I'm born again. I don't need Mike. It's not about Mike anyways, right? He's gone, right? And uh, when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. That word caught is harpazo. And if you're a scholar, you study the Bible, that's the same word that we read throughout the scriptures for the rapture. The Latin word is raptus, harpazo. Snatched caught up, taken away in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, God just reaches down and just takes Philip out of there, right? It's like, first the angel says, go, and now God just says, okay, we're done here, you're gone. And well, where are we going now, God? Right? It's so kind of cool like that. They came up out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. I can imagine rejoicing. Just imagine, this guy's like, he's soaking wet. He's going down the road on this chariot and he's still dripping and I'm born again and I know Jesus. I'm reading the scriptures. It's all just jumping off the page. It's coming alive to me. And he's just rejoicing in all of this. And he's, you know, like dashing through the desert in a camel-driven chariot, dripping in a new life, rejoicing all the way. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves today. To those who thirst, come and drink and be born again today. Hey, for unto you the Christ is born, your sins are washed away. Right? Woo! You got a song in your heart? <laughs> Again, apologies to Anonymous. We don't really know who wrote that one, but <laughs> certainly that will not go down in history. Um, it's so exciting, though. God's done with Philip. God's done with the eunuch. He goes on back. And a whole group of followers are birthed out of this in Africa. And we see the gospel move to the sons of Ham. Uh, and finally, verse 40, but Philip and uh, Frankie and Lincoln, you can come on up. But Philip was found in Azotus, or also known as Ashdod, uh, to the Old Testament. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. He just kept on going, kept on going. God brought him here, God took him there. God pulled him from there, brought him over here. Now he finds himself down on the Mediterranean seacoast in Azotus. And it says, then he preached 
in all the cities. He went north, and every place he stopped, Joppa, or wherever he went across the, the, all, all the way up through what is now past Tel Aviv up to Caesarea, the capital of the Roman Empire in Israel in those days, he came there to Caesarea. And we're going to catch up with Philip one more little mention uh, in chapter 21, 20 years from this day when he has been caught away. In chapter 21, uh, we're going to see um, Peter uh, come into Azotus and uh, there will be Philip and his four daughters. It's, and all we know about him is he's there, he's faithful, he's got four daughters. It says they're grown and they're all virgins. Good job, dad. And they're prophetesses. They declare Jesus. They preach the word, right? And how would you not, with a dad like that growing up, follow Jesus? A dad who lived the Lord, a, a dad who loved the Lord, a dad who just walked with the Lord and emanated the Holy Spirit. How would you not follow in his footsteps? Just a beautiful picture. And what a great encouragement for us this Christmas season. How will your children follow you? How will your children acknowledge you? At our graduation this last week for Shiloh, um, as her kids were able to come forward and just say some words to her, I loved it. Uh, her middle daughter came up and didn't say a whole lot, but she just looked at her mom. And this has been a long road for them. As Shiloh has been out in the world and now walking with the Lord and the kids are watching. And you know, your kids know you. They know you like probably sometimes better than you even know yourself. And her daughter got up and in just commending her mom, she just got up and she says, you're valid. And at first I had to think, what did she say? Did she, what, what was the word she said? Valid. You're validated. You're tested. You're proven. You're shown to be the real deal. Good job, mom. Right? Good job, dad. <laughs> at the end of the day, as we go out and proclaim Jesus Christ to the world, all that God asks is us, we'd be valid we'd be real. Walk, walk it out. You don't have to be perfect. Just love Jesus and obey. Follow him and just declare the good news. Christ our Lord is born this day. Hallelujah. Amen. Father God, thank you so much for the words that you've given us today. Again, a Christmas story. Christ born again in somebody's heart. Help us, Lord, to continue the Christmas story today and every day, bringing forward the good news that our sins have been washed away. We are new creatures in Christ, children of God, heaven bound. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.